let's go inside under my skin you come around the other way a dream i have spent hello and welcome to our first episode of a brand new and very exciting podcast the podcast is entitled act in context uh, I'm John DeLynn. I'm your co-host, and I'm here with Jennifer Plum. Hello, Jennifer. Hi. Good to be here, John. Yeah, and we're very excited that you have joined us for uh, this show. Just to give you a super high overview, when we say act in context, we're talking about a certain form of psychological therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy which we will be getting into a lot, both in this episode and in future episodes. But we chose that name because we're going to be covering a lot more than just acceptance and commitment therapy uh, during this series. We're also going to be talking about the, um, the main sponsor of this podcast and a lot of the philosophies and ideas and approaches that are a part of the association for contextual and behavioral science. Did I get that right, Jen? Yeah, you got it. ACBS. What what's the what's the URL? What's the domain name of ACBS? It is www.contextualpsychology.org. Okay. So it's context C O N T E X T and psychology P S Y C H O L O G Y. <laughs> I know, just for people who have trouble spelling it, we picked really difficult words for that URL. I'll tell oh, that's you. Good. <laughs> so that's that's who's paying our bills. That's who's putting this on. Um, it's an organization we'll be getting into quite a bit. But the context part of the title of this podcast is sort of a reference to ACBS and all the great work that they're doing. So um, with that, today we hope to cover several things. Um, we're going to be exploring what ACT is. We're going to kind of give an overview of ACT and what ACT is all about. Um, and we're going to also be talking about ACBS and, and let you know what you can expect from this series, which will be, I'm hoping, at least at least 20 hours of good discussion about all these topics. Um, but let's kind of begin by talking about, uh, real quick, what ACT is. Jen, why don't you just tell us real quickly what acceptance and commitment therapy is, you know, in a couple sentences or a paragraph. Sure. Yeah. Well, acceptance and commitment therapy is, it started as a form of psychological intervention. Um, but as we'll talk about as we go through this series, it's much more than just an intervention for anyone who has psychological distress. Um, but it's typically thought of as a psychological uh, treatment for any number of difficulties, and we'll talk about some of the things that it's been used for shortly. Um, but it's typically considered within what's called the cognitive behavioral therapy tradition. And anyone who's ever been to a psychologist or a, ther- a psychotherapist, um, any psychotherapist you meet has what's called a theoretical orientation. So sort of where they, how they've been trained and how they see the world and how they do therapy differs a little bit across different types of therapy. And so ACT is one kind of cognitive behavior therapy. And what cognitive behavior therapy is really generally is a form of therapy that focuses on more sort of present day functioning. Sort of what are you doing today? What are you doing in your life that's um, not working for you, working for you? And how can we help you sort of deal with the distress you might be dealing with in your life in a better way and help you change your behavior? 
here. And we talk, the cognitive piece is about sort of what kinds of thoughts and feelings show up uh, that might impact your, your behavior in your life. Um, so ACT sort of falls into that tradition using thoughts and feelings, looking at behavior change, looking at sort of how do we change things for the better for you right here in the present. Not that things that have happened in your childhood aren't important, but that those aren't the focus of therapy, which may be the focus of some other therapies. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so ACT sits within uh, a CBT uh, Mm -hmm. um, sort of framework. Uh, What else can you tell us just really quickly about what ACT is uh, other than an intervention? Um, Other... First, I'd like, like to, say to give a it a bit, flavor or a description. Yeah. Um, as an intervention, I would say it's also um, within what's called sort of the mindfulness tradition. Um, and for anyone who's ever done a meditation practice or is familiar with um, sort of Buddhist philosophy, ACT is not Buddhism and it's not Buddhist philosophy, but there is a flavor of sort of being more connected to the present moment. Um, what's happening for you in terms of thoughts and feelings and also in your environment in the present moment and what opportunities are there for you to sort of connect more to what's happening around you in meaningful ways. And it also focuses on sort of values or what things you care about. So I would say that it's also more of like a mindfulness-based treatment as well within the CBT tradition. Okay, so people who like mindfulness or meditation or yoga or Eastern Eastern thought or philosophy are going to find a lot in common and, and maybe even resonate with with what ACT mm-hmm. is trying to do, but probably not exclusively so. There, you don't have to be in any of that new agey exactly. hippie stuff to, to exactly. also be able to get Exactly, that. not at all. It's very practical. So it isn't about um, reaching enlightenment in a way that maybe a Buddhist or an Eastern philosophical stance might have, but more about just sort of how can we help you in your daily life, uh, live life more meaningfully uh, and connected to the things you care about. And, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but it's it's kind of a it's kind of a big thing, right? Act is kind of uh, becoming a big deal. Am, am I wrong? Uh, yeah, I would say it's definitely catching on all over the world too. It's not just here in the United States, which is where you and I are, but um, it's catching on, and, and governments and also in countries in Europe, uh, in Australia, um, Asia, uh, there, there are definitely some uh, a wide variety of people all over the world who are who are starting to use it. Um, but also, there's a lot of movement towards self help, uh, and some books are being are being written to help people with these um, kinds of strategies on their own um, and those are available worldwide so it's definitely catching on and there's been a lot of popular media attention over the past few years on act yeah and you know because i'm and we'll talk about this too but i'm a i'm kind of a second year psychology phd student and i've been going to this conference the association for behavioral and cognitive therapies abct mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. different from acbs of course yeah. and it's basically all these acronyms <laughs> I know, it's basically like the empirical research you know, organization for, for psychologists, for academic psychologists who are trying to work on treatments. and For clinical psychology, yeah. Right, right. And I, I can just say that uh, ACT is a big thing there. In other words, the hot, it seems like the hottest topics, a lot of the liveliest debates are around comparisons of ACT versus other treatments, mindfulness. A lot of the, the concepts that are in ACT are, seem to be becoming more and more common in general CBT kind of types of therapies. And so I'm just saying empirically in the research world in, in clinical psychology, uh, I think ACT definitely has a, a, a strong and growing presence. True? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about really quickly 
um, at a high level who this podcast is for. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you my opinion, and you add or take away from it. But okay, as we well as we've talked about it, I I think that um, there's a lot of academic, you know, psychology, clinical psychology researchers who know what ACT is and who are researching it. I'd say it's 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 one of the you know it, it, there's a lot of empirical support for ACT and and it's growing, but um, I would say that the average person in the street has probably never heard of ACT. Is that true? Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, the average person on the street's probably never heard of CBT. Now that I think about it, probably that true. That is true as well. So, yeah. so I think I think we want to make sure that as we design this podcast, it's it's very opening and welcoming and broad uh, to to a large number of people. So, my goal would be that that at the outset. Just a lay person who's interested in mental health, who's interested in psychology, who maybe even just wants to get better, that they could start with this episode one, get this introduction, and through 20 or 30 hours of exploration, slowly in sequence ramp up to the point where they could really go deep on on ACT and ACBS and all the different dimensions of what, what we're doing. So I guess I want to lay that I- extreme kind of lay that stake down and say we want anyone who's who's thoughtful and interested and curious to be able to to enjoy this podcast so we start there but then we start narrowing we we definitely want people who are seeking psychotherapy who are interested in therapy themselves to be able to learn more about act from this podcast and then we want clinicians you know psychotherapists social workers marriage and family therapists psychiatrists we want them to be able to jump in as well and learn about ACT in ways that will help them as clinicians. And then I even want it, and, and tell me if you agree, us to be able to go deep when it's time to go deep such that even the most hardcore empirical researchers will be able to derive value um, when we go deep and discuss some of the more difficult things like relational frame theory and other things. So that's yeah. kind of what I'm thinking. Tell me if you agree or disagree and what you would no, add. I think that's away. great. We want to go for uh, the broadest audience possible. We want to help, you know, if you're, if you're, what we hope is that if your family member were suffering, that we would be able to provide some um, knowledge about what we're talking about in terms of what ACT is, what CBT is, um, and how to identify what therapies might be good for, for a different person struggling with different issues, um, and to even sort of consume psychology better, but also, you know, really geek out when it comes time to do so, just right. like you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, so... So we've talked about a bit what ACT is, what the word context means as it relates to ACBS. Let's talk about why a podcast. And it's kind of yeah. weird for us to talk about this right up front, but I'll just give you my quick spin. Some yeah, of you are, John, because oh, you know, I, I just, I, I'm new to podcasts, so you know, sharing with with our audience sort of why we think this is important, I think would be a really good place to start. Yeah. Yeah, and let me just – I've got a little bit of experience running a couple other podcasts, and I just want my listeners to sort of hear about wh- how podcasts can be used in ways that might um, be super helpful for them. And so here's a quick overview of, of what a podcast is and why it's valuable. Some of you may have downloaded this first file, this MP3 file, to your you know computer, your laptop or whatever, and you've kind of played it in your media player. Others may be clicking the little play button on the website and streaming 
you know, this episode live. And that's fine. We want you to always be able to do that if you so desire. Some of you may have even manually downloaded this MP3 to your mobile device and are listening to it there. But there's something really powerful about some of the podcast technology that I want to make you aware of so that if you want to take advantage of it, you can. And here's what I'm talking about. In something like iTunes, which is available on pretty much most platforms, it's available on on Apple, it's available on the PC, if you have a media player like iTunes, what you can do is you can do what's called subscribing to the podcast. And what that means is you can go into iTunes, go into the iTunes store, type in Act in Context, you can find um, this podcast there, and what you can do is you can subscribe to it. You click the little button that says subscribe in iTunes or other media players that do something similar. Once you do that, it is actually going, your media player is going to be looking to the podcast every time the media player is open. It's, you're going to open up the media player, iTunes. It's going to go out to the website. It's going to look to see if a new episode of the podcast has been released. And if it is, it's going to download this podcast, this episode, the MP3 file, automatically to your computer so that you don't have to right-click on the file and save as and download it, figure out where to stick the file, and then play it at your leisure. So that's one part that's cool. When you subscribe to a podcast through a media player like iTunes, it'll pull the, the episodes down for you. But what's even cooler is if your mobile device, like let's say you have an iPhone or an iPod, If you've got it connected to um, synchronize these episodes, you can plug in your iPhone or your iPod into your computer. It'll launch iTunes, and it will automatically, if you set it to, start downloading these episodes to your mobile device. And the reason why that's cool is it's one thing to sit at your computer and kind of be tethered and have to listen to this stuff while there's other distractions in the background. But sometimes that's not possible. You don't want to sit for so long. You're distracted, and there are other things that will pull you away. But there's all this time that you have driving in your car, commuting to work or in the train, flying on an airplane for business travel, exercising, uh, mowing the lawn, doing chores around the house, whatever it is that you like to do, there's this free time where you could be learning as you're engaging in this activity. And so if you've subscribed to the podcast, if you're synchronizing it down to your computer, and if you're connecting up your mobile device regularly, you can just always have 5 or 10 or 20 episodes of this podcast ready for you to listen to whenever it's convenient to you. And that way you can learn a lot more and get a lot more out of this than if you're just tethered to your laptop or PC. Does all that make sense, Jen? Do you have any questions about that? Awesome. I love technology. I'm just, I'm getting, I'm new with the whole podcast thing and having a, you know, a smartphone and this whole deal. So it's very exciting to think about the possibilities about how we, how you can be learning on the go or learning in, in ways where you may otherwise be sort of just sitting in traffic or, you know, doing sort of an un, undesirable activity like mowing the lawn, unless you find that, you know, meditative. Right, <laughs> um, right. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Okay. So it's a a lot to cover right at the beginning, but I just want to start at the beginning because people will be able to get a lot more value out of this podcast if they listen to it in that way. So that's that's the plug for that. Awesome. Okay. So now that we've talked about act, context, and podcast, I think it's time to just do an introduction for you and me. Yeah, absolutely. So Jen, I'm going to start uh, with you and ask if you wouldn't mind 
telling us a bit about yourself, a little bit about your upbringing, specifically kind of what led you into the field of psychology, what led you into being interested in ACT, and um, kind of where you are right now and, and what's on the horizon for you, just so we can get a sense for your, your life journey and how ACT fits into it. Awesome. Yeah, well, so I grew up on the East Coast, um, and I, I was always sort of in a family that was interested in exploration and sort of personal growth. Um, I was always, you know, taught to be able to find my own path and explore different ways of thinking and to to view learning as something that was really important to me. So I, I guess I was always curious about basically human behavior. Um, and I think I kind of always knew that I wanted to be in, t- in psychology. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. Um, ther- being a therapist always seemed to be something that I was interested in. But more interesting to me was also just understanding human behavior, like why people do the things they do and why sometimes they don't do things that are in their best interest and why a lot of the time, actually, I don't do things that are in my best interest, right. along with a lot of people that I see around me all the time. And so I sort of grew up with that perspective, like, hmm, I just wonder, you know, if, if there's a way out there to, to sort of help people figure out what's, what's sort of in their best interest, what's healthy, um, and, and how not to get so stuck and caught up in, in just, as my mother put it, like being our own worst enemy, you know, getting caught up in sort of unhelpful thought patterns about like, I can't do that, or I'm to this, or I'm not good enough here, or I'm not enough, or I can't ever accomplish whatever, um, and and so I kind of always had an interest in just sort of understanding behavior, but also wanting to influence it, also wanting to help sort of change behaviors that were ineffective. Um, so, you know, my family used to tease me because I was sort of everyone's therapist growing up. Like I would always, you know, listen to people's difficulties and try to give them advice. And I don't think I was very good at it when I was a kid, but I didn't have very much, you know, insight or anything. But it was always something I liked doing. And so... Where did um, you, you grow up mostly? Where where were you? Uh, Massachusetts. Okay. In, yeah. In so, yeah, yeah, fairly liberal sort of area, um, but definitely a lot of suffering. I mean, you know, just I, I think something I learned really early... Uh, is that anyone can suffer. You know, I always, I didn't grow up with a lot of money and I always felt that there was something that I was getting less out of the world because we had to struggle a little bit um, to, to get things done and, you know, to, to enjoy life a little bit more. When I saw people, you know, getting cars for their birthdays or, you know, living in gigantic houses and getting everything they wanted. But then I started to get to know people and I saw, gosh, you know, People can suffer no matter how much stuff they have or how much money they have or how much privilege they have. There's still suffering there. Um, and the, and and the so, reverse is true too. You know, and people and the reverse is true. People without means can be extraordinarily yeah. happy. So yeah. so that was just an interesting thing to sort of watch growing up a little bit as I, I, I learned as I sort of went from high school to college uh, sort of noticing that people can suffer from a lot of different things that, that don't necessarily look on paper like they should be suffering. Um, so I always thought that very interesting. Um, right. I actually was interested in marriage and family therapy for a long time because I was curious as to how um, couples could really fall in love and then break up. It was just sort of shocking to me to, to think that you could be so in love, you'd get married, have kids, buy a house, do the whole thing, and then break up. It just sort of just it blew my mind. So actually in college, even though I knew I wanted to major in psychology, I was focused on couple relationships and, and sort of how they, how people interacted together. So I guess, you know, where I am now, which is not in that area, um, started there around like 
how do people interact and 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 in what ways can they express themselves more effectively to get their needs met and and to maybe live life a little bit more meaningfully so I started off uh, doing some research in college as a research assistant um, in uh, gosh, I did a bunch of different kinds of research projects, more just to figure out what research was, you know. And, you know, we'll talk a lot about research as we get further into the podcast series. Um, But, you know, I think something that someone coming to psychology uh, newly may not know is that psychology has this sort of bad rap sometimes about Mm -hmm. being a scientific profession. I I think because the content of what we're studying is so familiar like everyone has thoughts, everyone has feelings, everyone behaves and communicates with each other. And so therefore, there's just an abundance of, of things people have to say about how to change that, influence that, make it better, make it better for different ends. Um, and, and I think it can seem unscientific because it's sort of this soft science in a way. It's not physics. You can't test, you know, a theory. A, a, a theory about how to change behavior in the way that you can test gravity. Like you and I could test gravity right now. And let me tell you, everything's going to fall, you know, unless I'm, unless I'm in some crazy NASA space shuttle, you know, things are going to fall to the ground. And that's just not the way it is with psychology. But even though it's a soft science, I was really interested in how could we do that science carefully so that we can actually help people. And so I knew I wanted to do research in college. It was something that was really important to me. I didn't want to just follow psychology out as something that was interesting, but but based on my own personal experience, because that's more like, for me, that's more like a spiritual journey as opposed to a scientific one. Right. So I was drawn to science, and I knew I wanted to figure out how to help people who are struggling, communicating with each other, and just enjoying their lives in, in ways that were meaningful for them. Um, but I, I didn't know what I wanted to do right after college. I was sort of tired of, of working really hard in college. I worked really hard. I took some time off and I worked as a researcher actually in the department of veterans affairs. Um, and I got a chance to be a research assistant in a psychology clinic that does really great research on post-traumatic stress disorder. This is in Boston. This was in Boston. Yep. And there I got introduced to some, some people who've been involved in the act work, uh, for a long time, actually, Sonia Batten, who was a student of the program I'm in for grad school now, uh, worked with Steve Hayes, who was one of the developers of ACT, uh, uh, a little bit too when she was here. And so she introduced me to it a little bit. Also, uh, my the person I worked for there um, really got me interested in the mindfulness aspect of things, as well as, as ACT in general. Um, so personally, I'll, I'll put the scientific journey aside for a minute. And the personal side for me, um, I was really getting interested in mindfulness meditation and mindfulness practices on a personal level. And I had gone to a couple of workshops and and done some day-long retreats and things like that with uh, some folks who worked with John Kabat-Zinn, who is a big mindfulness meditation researcher actually in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, And he's written a ton of books that people might have seen popularly like uh, Full Catastrophe Living and – wherever you go, there you are, mm-hmm. et cetera. Right. Um, and so I had really kind of come into this idea of showing up to the present moment and not getting caught up in the things that happen inside our skin, so our thoughts, feelings, et cetera, um, and really being able to be more present with what what's happening right now rather than being stuck in our heads right. uh, or being mindless. Um, and I was really interested in that as a, as a method of self-exploration 
And then I started to realize there's a ton of research out there on mindfulness. And I thought, geez, this is great. You know, here's this practice that can be really personally meaningful for like millions of people all over the world. And we're studying it. Like John Kabat-Zinn's an MD. He's a Mm. medical doctor who's studied this stuff. And some of the results just blew me away. Like eight weeks of meditating reduced, um, actually increased, excuse me, increased antibody production Mm. um, when people were given a vaccine versus people who didn't meditate. I mean, just crazy stuff like that. Just really cool. So I got really interested in mindfulness um, from a personal perspective, then really excited that people were researching it as well. And... I guess my journey kind of to come to graduate school to go and get a PhD, which is a lot of work, John, as you know, you just started <laughs> your journey and I'm, uh, I'm finishing mine very soon, hopefully, um, to get a PhD in clinical psychology is a research degree, but also a practical degree where you do psychotherapy. I kind of wanted to know that, that this leap that's at least a five-year journey was going to be something meaningful. Mm-hmm. And as much as I loved mindfulness... I thought to myself, you know, I can close my eyes, sit and breathe and be present to what's happening. And there's a lot of neat exploration and insight and understanding and disentangling from uncomfortable, difficult experiences and getting more present with my life that can happen. But at the end of the day, I I was back to this, but how do we make it, how do we make life better? There's still a ton of suffering in the world. And I thought, and then what? Like, and then what? Like, what do you do when you've sat for a while and gotten some distance from your experiences? And for a lot of people, that's great, perfect, and they they can move on and and live meaningful lives just from that practice and really getting deep into Buddhist philosophy around, you know, um, following a meaningful path and things. But for me, as a scientist, the scientist in me wanted also a science of meaning and purpose in terms of what I do with my behavior. So I really wanted what, what I found in ACT, which is the values piece, t- to sort of complete the picture for me. Mm-hmm. So being able to be present with what's happening, to get some distance from the really sticky stuff that happens inside our skin, and to be able to step towards things that matter to me in my daily, everyday life, like making commitments to exercise regularly, but also making commitments and understanding what I care about in terms of my personal relationships at a really deep level and not just, yeah, I care about relationships. And so I'm going to, you know, spend time with people, but how do I want to spend time with people? Like, what do I want to be about in those interactions? Right. Um, that was the piece I think that really sold me on act itself. Okay. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, uh, not so short version of, of how I got interested in act and why I chose to study it. Um, so you applied to, to UNR, UNR, right? Yeah, the University of Nevada, Reno, and uh, working with Steve Hayes, who's one of the founders of ACT, although there's so many people worldwide who are doing amazing work within within ACT uh, that it's not just him. But yeah, being able to come here and and to train in this stuff and do science around it, it's just been really exciting for me. So that's my journey. Okay, so... so y- and, and you're uh, you just got some good news, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. I will be finishing the last sort of major hoop for 
getting a clinical psychology PhD is um, what's called a, a, an internship, which is actually not within the university. It's outside the university, usually at some sort of either um, hospital or counseling center or um, some full-time um placement that's a practical placement for doing therapy full-time for a year. Um, and I'll be heading off to Seattle in a few months to go do that and finish my degree. Very fun. Well, that's good. So so you've been there with Steve Hayes at University of, University of Nevada at Reno studying ACT for the past several years and even working mm-hmm. for ACBS as kind of an yep. assistant, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. All right. It's exciting. Well, I'll, uh, you know, and it may seem weird that we're going into this level of detail, but uh, about our own selves, uh, you know, some would say, just get out of the way and let's talk about ACT and, and everything else. But the truth is, you know, you guys are going to be with us for about 20 or 30 hours if you make it through the whole thing. And I just think that that sometimes the personal journey uh, can be as important as the information. And so if you're going to be spending that much time with us, maybe it would be helpful for you to get some a little bit of context to get to know us and to get to know why we care about this stuff and that this isn't just some job assignment, but that actually this is something we wanted to do because we believe in this and we want to help others learn more about it. So hope you listeners are bearing with us, but um, that was awesome, Jen. Let me just jump in and maybe talk a bit about why, how I came to act. Is that all right? Yeah, I don't know this about you, so I'm excited <laughs> to hear this. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I come in a bit of a roundabout way, I uh, I grew up in Katy, Texas. My claim to fame is that I went to high school with Renee Zellweger. Uh, we were actually <laughs> we were very close friends in high school, but I grew up um, in a family of four, and uh, uh, I grew up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church, and that served me very well during my childhood. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, had, had a successful high school career, went, um, went to BYU in Utah. Some of you may have heard of that. Went to serve a mission in Guatemala and, you know, graduated from BYU in political science. And I spent about a good 15 years in the high tech industry. So I rode the internet wave. I worked for Bain and Company, which was Mitt Romney's first, you know, major company. I worked for uh, Arthur Anderson back when, you know, they were the world's largest accounting firm, learned about technology in, in 93 and 94 uh, and about the internet and became a consultant and eventually in 88 joined Microsoft and, and worked at Microsoft, sorry, in 98, worked for Microsoft for about seven years. So I worked, you know, at, at some of the highest levels of the company uh, doing tech stuff and really loved it. But probably a good 12, 13 years into that tech journey, um, I was just wanting more from my life. I was just feeling like selling more software was cool, but I didn't want that on my gravestone. You know, he helped them sell a lot of software. <laughs> yeah. So, so I decided, even though I was married with four kids and was doing really well in the career, I just decided to leave it. And I left Microsoft left a very, you know, six-figure salary and decided to go back to school. And we wanted to live in a place with a very high quality of life and we wanted to live near some family. So I moved to Logan, Utah, which is where Utah State University is. And I uh, I got, I got started pursuing a PhD in instructional technology. And instructional technology is kind of the marriage of education and technology. So because this was around 2004, 2005, podcasts and blogs and wikis 
started becoming all the rage. And I learned about those really early. And um, because I needed uh, an excuse to learn how to do a podcast, I started a podcast called Mormon Stories. Because coincident to all this, I was going through a spiritual and a faith crisis. Um, while I was at Microsoft, I started studying my, my religious faith in depth. And uh, there's a lot about Mormon history and doctrine that uh, maybe the average LDS member of the church doesn't know until they really dig deep. And that caused for me a full-blown faith crisis. And so I started this podcast uh, called Mormon Stories to explore some of the most troubling and difficult topics within Mormonism. So we're talking racism, sexism, homophobia, uh, polygamy. You know, I wanted to just get all that stuff out in the open and talk about it uh, so that people could understand it. And so that I could understand it and process this faith crisis I was going through. Well, the podcast ended up filling an important niche because thousands and thousands of people started listening. And as I worked for you know, USU, and eventually I went to work for MIT in their open courseware group, I started traveling all around the world for MIT, and everywhere I'd go, I would meet with listeners of my podcast. And because they were in an environment where they couldn't talk openly about some of their religious and spiritual concerns, they would always dump onto me during these lunches and dinners their, you know, struggles with their marriage, with their spirituality, with anorexia or eating disorders or addictions, whatever it was, these people would need someone to talk to and they would talk to me. And I probably ended up talking to over a thousand people one-on-one -on -one over that five-year period as I explored the podcast. And at some point I realized that I needed to make a day job of this because I loved it so much. I never got sick of hearing people's stories. And I could see that there was such a big need. Now, how I got to act. Um, I was exploring spirituality because my faith tradition wasn't feeding me spiritually like I uh, like it used to. And because my wife was a big Oprah fan, and I hope uh, the members of ACBS don't mind that Oprah was my, my gateway to act. That's fabulous, John. <laughs> um, Oprah did this huge thing with Eckhart Tolle on his book called A New Earth. The first book that he that was really famous by him was called The Power of Now. And the second book that he did was called A New Earth. And both of those uh, talk about mindfulness, meditation, contact with the present moment, and, uh, you know, probably borrows a lot from Eastern, um, you know, meditative traditions. And so uh, I learned about... Uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle and 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 started talking about it on my podcast and with other friends within the Mormon community and a good friend of mine named uh, Andrew Armstrong uh, found out that I was interested in becoming a therapist at the time it was a marriage and family therapist uh, just like you and mm -hmm. he knew about ACT because he was studying ACT under Michael Tuig here at Utah State University he pulled me into a pizza parlor someday and he said dude don't don't become a marriage and family therapist. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Become a psychologist because a clinical psychology training would probably serve you well. Know, knowing what he he knowing what I wanted to do, and he said, if you like Eckhart Tolle, you'll love ACT. And one of you know the leading researchers in ACT or a main researcher in ACT, Michael Tuig, lives right here. You know, five minutes away from your house. 
So I got to know Mike and I got to know ACT and I applied. And even though I've never, I had never taken a psychology course, never studied anything about psychology, I found out a way to become accepted into the PhD program here. So I'm. Oh man, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm a second year PhD student in clinical counseling and school psychology at USU. I study under Mike Tuig. I'm focusing on uh, anxiety disorders generally. Uh, some of the main things I'm specializing in are OCD and specifically scrupulosity, which is a religious or moral um, iteration or uh, sort of uh, type of OCD. I'm also studying uh, ACT for couples, and I'm also doing work with ACT for trichotillomania, which is hair pulling, and um, uh, LGBTQ kind of issues. There's a lot of research that we're hoping to do with ACT here, but that's kind of what brought me to uh, ACT and to ACBS. I, I'm, I'm helping out with ACBS a bit, and so that's a bit about my journey. Awesome. John, I didn't know some of that stuff. That's really cool. Well, it's a lot of detail, but maybe that'll help our listeners yeah. come to understand our, our frames of reference as we go through this journey together. Well, I think I think something about you know our, our somewhat disparate journeys coming into into the act work and the ACBS work um, it sort of speaks to to how flexible act can be, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about how that can be controversial. Um, but you know if it works for everything or works for everyone or whatever, um, you know we're not we're not saying that it works everywhere for everyone equally. But but it's just interesting that it. That ACT can appeal to to you and I who've had very different backgrounds um, up until, you know, what we have in common now is our interest in the work and, and progressing it forward and, and helping people uh, in certain ways that, you know, we really care about, but that we can have different backgrounds. And I think that that speaks a little bit to to something that really matters to me in inside ACT. Um, and I hope you don't mind me jumping ahead a little bit to speak about what I like about ACT as a therapy. Um, sure. Because it rem- it just reminded me as you were telling your story, you know, one thing that I think can be difficult with seeing seeking a therapist, you know, if you're listening to this and, and you have, you know, maybe feel anxious or have some depression issues or are struggling with, with different kinds of distress in your life, you may think, why would I go talk to somebody who doesn't know me and share like these intimate experiences in my life? They don't know me. How can they really help me? Um, and, and first of all, it's really scary to talk about these things. But one thing that I think ACT therapists sort of all over the world value because it's part of the treatment, it's part of the training to become a therapist, it's part of the work itself, is the idea that we're all in this together, that we're all sharing the human experience, and that at that level, we're really no different, and and that I have difficult thoughts and feelings as a therapist, as a human being who happens to be a therapist, just like the person who's sitting across from me asking for therapy does. And I think that's something that I really find really meaningful. And that's not something that um, isn't found in other therapies. It certainly is. But I think there's a, a certain kind of attention to it in ACT that I found really resonates with me personally, which is the idea that I don't have the expert answer. And we're going to explore the ways that you've tried to manage, um, you know, your struggles uh, with what we know to be helpful through science and, and sort of talk about that and, and sort of find a, a way, a, a path towards meaning, purpose, and sort of more present and, and engaged in life in, in that kind of way. Um, 
so anyway, I just I just wanted to say that that I think it's really interesting how different our experiences have been, and that really speaks to this idea that at a really deep level, all humans really share that that it's easy to struggle with thoughts and feelings that are uncomfortable, unwanted, difficult, scary, um, all the time. And you don't have to have a psychological disorder, quote unquote, to suffer, um, which is something that ACT really focuses on. It cares less about what kind of disorder a person may have, or if there is one, more at, and cares more about where you where are you stuck and where can we help you move towards. So. The Act in Context podcast is a production of the Association for Contextual Behavioral Science. Please check us out at contextualpsychology.org slash podcast. Music was brought to you by Armory.